The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history. Mrs. French's cat is missing. The signs are posted all over town. Have you seen Honey? We've all seen the posters, but nobody has seen Honey the cat. You like Huey Lewis in the news? Their early work was a little too new wave for my taste. But when sports came out in 83, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. Whatever Lorraine sees, feels, touches, it takes a toll on her. A little piece each time. You have a lot of spirits in here, but there's one that I'm most worried about because it is so hateful. Come to us. We are ready. Are you? What's with the, the get up? Oh, I do it blend in. You know, you know, zombies don't mess with other zombies. Buddy of mine, makeup guy, showed me how to do this. Cornstarch, you know, some berries, a little licorice for the ladies. Hello everybody, welcome again to the Good Trash on the Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and they talk about the movies that you'll never discuss in your film studies course using film studies type analysis. This week's film is a little Jesse Eisner... Eisenberg? Eisenberg. Heidelberg. Heidelberg. <laughs> Eisenberg. <laughs> he is the one that knocks. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Number with uh, cameos by Various and Sundries and Woody Harrelson. And, uh, well, I guess maybe not Various and Sundries. There's just the one. one. The one. Well, you, you have name drops, but that doesn't count at all. No, it doesn't. It's pop culture reference. So it's not the same thing. <laughs> but, isn't it a spoiler? Let's go ahead and do the show. That's what I think we should do at this point. Guys, we're here to do this show. We're going to be talking about Zombieland, but we got to do some introductions first to my left, if you would. My name is Dalton Stewart, and uh, Dustin, you want to feel how hard I can punch you? No. You give about 45%. <laughs> I've... I've whooped wholesale ass for a lot less. <laughs> Across the table, if you would, sir. Uh, I am Arthur Gordon. Yeah, this thing. I mean, I, I know it's called a five o'clock shadow, but sometimes I'll get it prematurely. <laughs> huh. Across to the left, if you would, or the right, if you would, ma'am. My name's Alexander Bohannon. Someone's ear is in danger of having their hair brushed over it. That's Arthur. That's Arthur. Yeah. <laughs> probably, probably true. My name is Ezra Sells, and you see, you can't trust anyone. The first girl I let into my life, she tries to eat me. But we got to move right on, and we've got to talk about this film. Now, dear listener, we got to warn you, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. And what that means is that we are going to do a lot of spoiler after spoilers because we're going to talk about meaning inside of the film. We'll begin, however, with a very quick review where we talk about the synopsis of the film, and I just our quick you know, initial reactions and what we think about the movie, whether it works or doesn't work. What was that? It's called the medium sketch. The medium sketch? Yeah, it wasn't rare and it certainly wasn't well done. 
And so with that warning in mind, dear listener, we're going to go ahead and jump right now into our quick synopsis from the voice of the cinema himself, He's Mr. Back. Arthur Gordon. He is back! We're so glad to have him. And his voice. Yes, because <clears throat> the Nickelodeon guy was not cutting it. A shy student trying to reach his family in Ohio. A gun-toting tough guy trying to find the last Twinkie. And a pair of sisters trying to get to an amusement park. Join forces to travel across a zombie-filled America. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Let's move quickly around the table and just talk about a quick thumbs up, thumbs down, whether it works or doesn't for you, and one, perhaps two, reasons why. I ask you first, Miss Alexander Bohannon, what say you? It is her host pick. It is. It's, this is her fault. Yeah. Take the words right out of my mouth. I obviously like this movie up until this point in my life. I'd seen this movie and saw, and those are the only horror movies I'd seen. Obviously, I'd gotten indoctrinated. This is a horror movie, Alex. I'm sorry. No. Okay, okay, hold on. This is coming from the same guy that tells me Pondy Pool is a horror movie. Pondy a horror movie. Pool is a horror movie. How is that a horror movie? It's, the it's scary. How is this not a horror movie? Because zombies are eating the entire town and everyone's going to die. And it's very, like, ghastly and frightening and sad. Yes. This is funny. Most of our zombies here are the butt of a joke. And they yeah. get napalmed in the end. <laughs> Spoilers. You sure got a pretty mouth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There, there's banjo playing and delivers jokes in this movie. <laughs> it's it's a good it's a good movie. Oh, it's great. Man. It's not a horror movie. I'm sorry. It has horror elements. I'll give you that. There are moments that are scary, but good pick. When the dude crawls up in the stall, I mean that's scary. Yeah. Don't trust bathrooms, especially if you don't like clowns. It's a scary movie. <laughs> yeah. Look at this fucking. Oh, clown. did you guys know that the clown is in the credits? He's like yeah. the only. He's zombie. like one of the only people listed. There's like the six credits. people in the credits. Yep. He's one. All right. So you were saying. Well, um, now that one of my other um, horror movies has been debunked as not being a horror movie. I like this movie a lot. Um, I watched it. I can't remember the first time I watched it, but I enjoyed it. It has some, I forgot how graphic it is in places because I sat down with a nice big dinner and I was about to (laughs) eat and it's like the first opening sequence of the movie and. There's so many tendons that get ripped out. Oh, of your... zombies all picking stuff. Sucking out of the marrow. Teeth. Yeah. So yeah. funny. The marrow. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> so humorous. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, a lot of bits. Humorous. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a lot of bits that get Find torn off of and sundered away. Um, it's it's funny. It really it really is. In terms of most of it works. I would say that if I have a criticism, that the I guess what we would call like the third-ish act maybe gets a little slow whenever they get to Bill Murray's house. I know there's, like, character development and, you know, stuff, but it got kind of bogged down a little bit for me. Um, oh, did I spoil that? You know, uh, I feel like, yeah, I feel like when this movie first came out, that was a spoiler because they didn't really announce that, but everybody's seen Zombieland at this point, and if you haven't, odds are you're already aware that Bill Murray, maybe... You're already aware that Bill Murray shows up for a little bit, probably, mm-hmm. so... No, I don't think so. Right. And if you care about spoilers, you're listening to the wrong show. <clears throat> yeah, for true. real. Overall, it's a it's a good movie. I really... I don't have any criticisms of it besides just, like, super nitpicky stuff and how much it turned my stomach a little <laughs> in the beginning bits. 
Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. Mr. Arthur Gordon, does this movie work for you? And uh, a reason or two, why or why not? I, I love this movie. Um, I love that the pacing is so spot on. It just it picks you up. It just drops you right into the action. I love that most of the exposition here is done in flashback, and I think that helps the pacing a lot. I mean, it helps to give breaks to the action. Um, and it kind of, kind of changes the dynamic of most zombie films where you get the lead up into the uh, infection. And so I think that helps. I love the editing. And the post work done here and the use of title cards, I think that's all fun. I think there's a nice kind of follow-up to the stuff done in Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz with editing, uh, which are two greatly edited films, and this kind of works a lot with those same lines. I don't have a lot negative to say about this. I think I laugh every time I watch it. It's infinitely quotable uh, from, from the beginning, and so that's a lot of fun. And I'd say, you know, definitely check it out. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, does this movie work or not, and a reason or two why? Uh, there seems to be a trend around the table here uh, and that we've all seen this quite a few times before. I've checked it out in theaters, and I might have seen it twice in theaters. Um, so, yeah, I, I've seen Zombieland quite a few times at this point. And yeah, I, I like it a lot. Um, I think the more I watch this, though, it does tend to wear on me a little bit. I don't think yes. it has a whole lot of rewatch value, honestly. I think after your third time, you've pretty much seen it, and you don't really need to revisit it. Because uh, I agree with Alex. Uh, I think... Pacing-wise, it really fails to sustain its own momentum going into the second and third act. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first act is just really aces, and I think that that sequence of the film really holds up. Not long after the whole gang of Wichita, Little Rock, Tallahassee, and, and um, Columbus oh, team up together, uh, not long after that for me really is where a lot of the momentum gets sucked out of the film because really, man, Harrelson... And Eisenberg are so good together. Mm-hmm. Which isn't to... I mean, um, Abigail Breslin and, and Emma Stone are great in this movie. I don't want to do them any disservice. Uh, but for some reason, I think the four of them together, they're fine. But I don't think they they mesh quite as well as just those two do. So I think that, for me, is part of what causes uh, this to lose its rewatchability. Uh, is that it doesn't sustain the momentum. And it, it's not apparent, I don't think, the first couple of times you watch it. But for me, this time... I really did notice it. Uh, I don't want to undersell it, though. I really do like Zombie Lane quite a bit. It's a hell of a lot of fun, and um, I, I never get bored watching it. There is that. I just get kind of like, okay, I'm ready for this to be yeah. over. Not, yes. Bored's not the right word, though. <clears throat> no. But yeah, Let's no. pick it up and finish. Exactly. Right. It's a solid movie, though. It's a lot of fun. Um, the comedy's good. The action's good. Um, and if you've got an action comedy horror, um, uh, it does all those, all three of those things pretty, pretty solidly. So, good job. I give it... Uh, Four and a half bags of golden grams out of seven. You know, it keeps them fresh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, what I would say, guys, is that I like the movie a lot, too. I think it's funny. I always laugh when I see it. I've only seen it a, a couple of times. I think it's maybe the second time I've seen it, uh, this this viewing. And it makes me laugh uh, consistently. It plays with zombie tropes. It plays mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, some of those standard uh, sort of survivalist <clears throat> narrative uh, types of tropes that you might find in a post-catastrophic sort of film. Uh, see our talk of state clan, and we talk about how we don't call these post-apocalyptic anymore. But uh, moving right along. Uh, so, you know, it works. Performances are great. I tell you what, the CGI, um, when they do use it, it's good that they use it sparingly, because when they do use it, it's kind of painfully obvious, uh, especially in a couple scenes in uh, the Pacific Paradise 
Playland, yeah, whatever that is. Their, their practical effects are really good, but yeah, you can tell they didn't have a whole lot of CGI budget. Yeah, and uh, just, it, it pretty. Which one are you referring to specifically? When uh, the three zombies that are chasing uh, Columbus uh, as he's making his way to the Tower of Terror mm-hmm. or whatever it is, and they get swept up by the little flying. Oh, oh, I remember that part. Yeah, it, it's I was just pretty like, cheese ball. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like all of a sudden, oh, and it's a movie again. That's right, I remember. And of course, it works okay because it's a movie that keeps reminding you that it is a movie. Mm-hmm. So that's fine. But it's still, it's, it just definitely just doesn't quite work. You yeah, know, in that way, there there's some places where the logic doesn't quite follow. And yeah, like how did they start the rides, get on them, and then get off the rides? Yeah, <laughs> precisely. Conductor. I know. Yeah. I was thinking, I was like, wait, in what amusement park would this make sense? Where you turn the power on, all the rides go live at the same time. <laughs> Well, the fact that they could get on the ship and get off the ship. Guys, you know, Jurassic Park. on the outside and turn it off and on. You guys have, have really... Uh, this is Pacific Park. I think you're reading into it. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I, I feel like if if you're, you've hung with it this far, I mean, you should stay with it. Because there's a lot of electricity in this movie, considering <laughs> the apocalypse yeah, has been going is. off like a year They're now. driving across country, no and, gas stations. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And lots of bullets. This is not a realistic depiction of no, no. No. survivalism, so it's, it's, it's fun. It's fine. Yeah, lots of fun. But there are those little sort of plot problems. Mm-hmm. And if you use your brain for a second, if you don't just, you know... And again, it, those moments with the CG kind of messes up and it takes you out and you realize you're watching a movie, you go, wait a minute... They didn't figure out how to handle this, did they? How to get on the rides, how to get off the rides, mm-hmm. how to have power in the little uh, wigwam shop or whatever it's called, uh, where they take your We wampum. want them your wampum. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible because there are places like that in oh, Arizona yeah. and New Mexico. Yes, there are. So, But I like it a lot. It's a lot of fun. It's a movie that I enjoy, although, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's not my favorite movie of all time. I wouldn't say that. But it's a movie that's fun. It's, it's, it's a recommend. I'd say that. So let's move on. God, and if so- I met... Somebody whose favorite movie was Zombieland. That's how I know I this person hasn't seen enough movies. Yes. But let's move on now and let's talk about what we're here to do, which is to bring some analysis to this here film. I'd be good with you, Mr. Dollar What do you say? Well, when I started taking notes on Zombieland, I thought I was going to talk about one thing, uh, which was uh, pop culture's fascination with the uh, autism spectrum over like the last ten years. Uh, that's pro- seven years. How did you get into this place? Back door has a five-pin tumbler system, single-circuit alarm, child's play. <laughs> you can start sorting protons and neutrons while I build carbon atoms. No, I don't think so. We need to go home now. But I'm still working. If you don't come out of there, I'm going to have to drag you out. You can try, but you'll never catch me. Bazinga. 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 Like, 08 to now. Um, which is really befuddling and weird. And weird and probably not a great thing um, because it's so often played for laughs. I mean, we're seeing a lot of movies uh, dealing seriously with the autism spectrum and how that can make it hard for people to connect to other people. Mm-hmm. That might be worth something, but seeing as how Jesse Eisenberg and Michael Sarah uh, and probably two or three other actors have made a career of playing Aspergery types, 
Uh, it's a real problem, especially when it's for laughs. Uh, oh, yeah, Jim Parsons, Big Bang Theory. There we go. Thank you. Uh, Eisenberg, in particular, in this film, um, I-, I think this is the film that got him labeled uh, the poor man's Michael Sarah. Uh, Adventureland and Social Network later, everyone was like, oh, no, no, Michael Sarah is the poor man's man. Jesse Eisenberg, because oh, yeah. Eisenberg's the fucking balls. I love Eisenberg a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm getting off track here. Mm-hmm. My point was, I started, I started thinking about the character of Columbus and, and his uh, autism spectrum-y type uh, character traits, uh, and specifically his list and his need to codify and order things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the more I thought about that, the more I realized I didn't really want to talk about that sort of thing, because I don't know if this is the movie to talk about it in. Uh, I feel like there's other movies we could talk about it in, and there's a better conversation than I was prepared to have. Because what I started thinking about... Uh, was how his his need to make a list, a survival list, kind of speaks to the human need to, to bring order out of chaos. Uh, so what Zombieland ends up doing, really, is speaking to uh, some of the theories of Maria Montessori. I hope I'm saying her name right. If you were an education major, you definitely know the name. Uh, I've heard the name a couple of times. Uh, Montessori is a really famous uh, physician and educator and uh, like mid 1800s or to mid 1900s somewhere in that range and brought forward like a lot of modern uh, teaching theories about giving children more freedom and encouraging them blah 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 but one of the things she talked about was these human tendencies human tendencies towards certain things and one of the things in particular she talked about was the human tendency towards order Uh, and zombie land i really feel like touches on that a lot um because what we have here, particularly with um, Columbus, is this need to bring order out of the chaos. You know, Montessori, uh, basically, when she talked about this, she was speaking to the fact that people do better when there is order. Uh, and specifically here, what we're seeing is what she would have called internal order, this need to um, order things that are happening outside of you in your own mind so you can process and deal with them. Uh, because we prefer... Uh, order to chaos and confusion. Uh, and that's what Columbus is doing here, <clears throat> is he's, he's making this list. What he's doing here uh, is taking all of this external stimuli um, and saying, okay, this is really hard to deal with because everything has gone to shit, and making a list of about 32 things that will keep him alive and will bring order to the chaos around him. And I think it's really interesting because all of the characters do that in their own way. Uh, Ohio, uh, Columbus, is is the most clear example of that, but I think Harrelson's doing it um, with his putting all of his his focus on this hunt for the Twinkie, the last Twinkie probably, um, and Little Rock and Wichita are doing this in their lack of trusting people. They're all finding their own way to bring order to Zombieland. Uh, Ohio, I keep wanting to call him Ohio, Columbus uh, is but just... she calls him Ohio at the end. She of the does, that's right. Yeah, and, and Tallahassee, she calls Florida. Florida. That's right. <clears throat> Um, but, but Columbus is doing it in the most obvious way, is, is the only reason he stands out so much, is because he has a list, and a list that we keep getting uh, splash uh, cards and title cards uh, throughout the film. Um, but really, when I was watching Zombieland, that was what I kept thinking about, was this need for the characters to bring order to their world. Uh, and that was something I found really interesting, so uh, take that for what you will, but I, I think next time you watch Zombieland, think about that a little bit while you watch it and, and see if you know I'm crazy or not. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what analysis bring you? Um, I'm going to look a little bit at World Zomcom Cinema. Oh, um, are you? <clears throat> a little compare and contrast of Shaun of the Dead, uh, a film called Tokyo Zombie and Zombieland. 
In 2004, Shaun of the Dead made waves and provided a solid backbone for the zombie comedy genre, henceforth referred to as the Zomcom. Shaun originated out of the British cinema and focused on pub culture and growing up. A year later, Tokyo Zombie hit screens in Japan, exploring a multitude of themes with its dark humor. Not to be outdone, America added a major Zomcom into the mix with Zombieland in 2009. Uh, world cinema is known for its ability to discourse on a number of cultural topics relevant to the times. Uh, the same can be said with zombie film. The fact that the two should meet and have powerful, unique, fun offspring around the globe should come as no surprise. In Sean, the pain of growing up is the primary theme, yet the importance of British identity is close behind. Tokyo Zombie raises ecological, familial, religious, and class questions, while Zombieland explores themes of family in a post-apocalyptic world. Each of these films shows that the zombie is still one of the strongest, most versatile vehicles for pointing a mirror at society, no matter the language or culture gazing into it. Quote, the zombies function as a perverse symbol as they are the instigator that forces him into maturity, end quote. Here, James Rose is introducing his theory of the role of zombies in Shaun of the Dead. As a part of its homage to the works of Romero, Shaun's zombies are closest in symbolism to the zombies we're familiar with, Cold War commentary and consumerist mentality. Shaun's zombies fit best in this category. However, like the other two movies in the discussion, the zombies here in the Zomcom begin to take a back seat to the true antagonism of the film, which lies within the tension of relationships and culture. Within Sean, we find our protagonist fighting against maturity and responsibility. Along his journey, he is pushed further into his culture. In zombie movies, The Ultimate Guide, Glenn Kay mostly dismisses Tokyo Zombie, stating that, quote, nothing much in this flick makes logical sense, and that more attention had been paid to developing the film's better concepts and bringing coherence to the rambling narrative, the end result would have been much improved, end quote. I must disagree with him. Where these films excel is in adapting the zombies and post-apocalyptic situations to fit with their critique of culture. Uh, we see this in Sean, and we also see it in Tokyo Zombie. I find that this darkly humorous film hits on a number of interesting themes. Uh, the first thing that strikes me is the fact that the zombie outbreak has a traceable source. Uh, this causes the dead to become reanimated. Instantly, we are hitting on an important theme, one that urges us to take care of our Earth. Uh, another of the more on-the-nose critiques is the of the class structure. Um, in our notes, we see that, quote, the strange black humor represents the angst of the poor, end quote. Um, by the second half of the film, we see this in greater depth. The rich have risen up and enslaved the poor, thus mirroring the Roman Empire as the living are forced to fight the dead uh, in an arena. Uh, the worth of the rich is shown as one lady is rescued immediately after being put into danger in the arena. Finally, America decided to put its stamp on the Zomcom genre uh, with the hugely popular Zombieland. Instead of rehashing the efforts of other filmmakers, Zombieland combines zombies with the roadship genre. Uh, one of the greatest accomplishments of Zombieland is using the zombies as a mechanism for reinstating the family unit. Uh, the character Columbus wishes to be part of a family. By the films in the family unit is reestablished, uh, giving for hope for a new start for humanity. Uh, quote, with a new family unit thus constituted, the only major obstacle remaining between Columbus and his dream of a family uh, is Wichita's distrust of others, end quote. This is Columbus' next great challenge, winning the trust of another to cement the family unit. To do so, he must finally overcome his tendency to stand aside and take action to rescue the damsel. It is within this story arc that we see another element added to the zombie tale, the hero's journey. Once Columbus reaches the story's princess, he finalizes his transition to overcoming hero. Uh, in all of this, however, a truly American identity is never lost. Our characters take up refuge in a Hollywood celebrity's home, one of the main characters is searching for a Twinkie, and the ultimate destination is a West Coast amusement park.
The zombie has become one of the most versatile film tropes of the past couple of decades. Uh, they have interwoven into a multitude of stories and molded into a number of meanings. While the popularity of zombies has risen and waned, it is a circular existence. As more world cinemas begin to understand the potency of zombies, uh, they will again rise to become the background of a grander narrative scheme. The zombies are free to represent a number of satirical and cultural commentaries that allow for viewers uh, to look at themselves in a cinematic mirror, casting a brutally honest reflection of themselves back at them. That's excellent, Arthur Gordon. And I would dare say that um, zombie films in general do something like that, that reflection of, of mm -hmm. American culture. But I think what yeah. you're doing specifically with the Zomcom is, is right on and very well said. So thank you very much, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. So will what analysis bring you? Well, it's fortuitous that I went right after Arthur because I feel like our uh, analyses are building, or at least mine builds off of some of the themes he addressed in his work, which was extremely good. And same with Dalton's. They were both very good readings. Um, I wanted to kind of build on the idea of the reflection of the self and especially the reflection of American consumerism, because that is obviously the... <laughs> That's a huge allegory in all zombie-related media is the, you know, the consumer is this kind of mindless unit. Um, I just felt like that was a really great place to start out with because I've been familiar with that being the typical trope and the typical reading of a lot of zombie cinema. I, thought, I found my first step on this journey was noticing the obvious product placement, the very specific obvious product placement throughout the, the movie, obviously Hostess products, um, the Twinkie, the Snowball, etc. But I also took notes of others, specifically Mountain Dude Code Red. Like, that's very specific. Very specific. That's, um, that's like nerd specific. As a young yeah. man who once worked with uh, junior high students, um, there is something about those junior high students who spent lots of time playing video games. They really all do drink Mountain Dew Code Red. Yeah. There's something mm -hmm. there to that. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I don't know if so much that, that they licensed that, you know, drop from Mountain Dew as much as that specificity. If you just went ahead and added hot fries and Funyuns, you'd be right on top of what they do. Mother fucking hot fries, let me tell you. Not a good gaming snack because there's a lot of finger wiping. Hot yeah. Fr hot fries are some shit, guys. Yeah, I'm on board. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Why would anyone eat? I hate them. Okay, now mm. I'm. This is nothing new with that. But why in the hell would anyone market Doritos as the gamer snack? That makes no, no terrible, sense. Yeah. Any anything dust related? Yeah, I love, I love pork rinds, but pork rinds like explode into fragments. It's not good. It's not good. You just end up with crumbs in your couch. I would dare say these junior high boys in question were not concerned about the crumbs in the couch. Yeah. Well. It's not like they were sharing the couch with anybody. Correct, Amundo. Moving right along. Anyway, um, Teddy Grahams, a, not a specifically gamer-related snack. And then, of course, there's uh, a mention of World of Warcraft, which, again, this is just pigeonholing him into the Aspie kind of, you know... <laughs> Sorry. I... She said Aspie. <laughs> well, it's pinholing him into this you know, variant on the autism spectrum kind of in, you know, introvert nerd character, which there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and then pizza and all this, all this stuff, all this kind of material goods. And I think it kind of just demonstrates how over time one's 
desires and instincts become warped, um, and which goes back to kind of the zombie allegory. You had the sisters, you know, playing everybody for cash and everything, which I couldn't I couldn't tell if they were doing that before yes, things were getting yes. bad. That yes. was a flashback. I, it was a flashback, but it seemed I don't know. It seemed like it's something they could gotten away with. I don't know. It, I had, I guess, a, now that I think about it, it gives me a, a second of, like, plausibility kind of stuff. But, I mean, it, this is a zombie movie. We shouldn't really be talking about plausibility, I guess. Correct. Um, but over time, you know, the instincts and desires become warped to where, you know, the sisters don't trust anybody. You know, Harrelson's just fixated on that Twinkie. And then all of these choices get made that are not necessarily... In their best interest. Of course, Columbus is, he's looking for his parents, but whenever that falls through by them probably being zombified, um, he just kind of goes along for the ride. Whereas the rest of them kind of drive the, drive the remainder of the plot. So that could speak to, you know, some people are carried along by the consumerist desires of others and they just, you know, do it to fit in and feel a part of a larger social group. But I found it interesting that they're, the desires of, you know, Harrelson and um, Harrelson and Emma Stone's character and the other, they get so warped as that they make poor choices, um, not in their best interest. Was it in their best interest for Harrelson to go to that hostess truck? And, oh my god, there might be a zombie in there. Or there might be some, like, looters around. But we're going to open it and see what's inside. No, that's just, like, a really focusing on my get-me-mine-me-mine kind of mentality. The same with um, the, the girls, you know. I found it just, like, really, well, stupid of them to go to an amusement park, turn on all the lights, and not think a horde was going to come after them. Oh, yeah. At night, too, because it's, you know, that's the best time to go. I guess it's more enthralling to go to an amusement park at night. But, you know, i never gone to Six Flags over Texas at night, so... And certainly not during a zombie apocalypse, either. <laughs> so, it's just, like, over time, your instincts as a person get corrupted, either from going along with the rest of what everyone else is doing... Or an internal code which caused him to kill Bill Murray, by the way. An internal co co code that said, you know, he, he's probably a zombie and not Bill Murray. <laughs> Let's pop a cap in his ass. And <laughs> well, honestly, that's the most rational thing in the whole movie. You come yeah. in there acting like a zombie in the you middle of a zombie, shot. you know, uh, major, major breakdown. Then yeah, be ready to get clapped you, at, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah you gotta <laughs> which shot. could speak to the fact that, you know, Stone and Harrelson, I mean, they were smoking the, you know, the, what is a euphemism for weed? Whatever Gunja, one of those reefer. is. Weed is a, is a euphemism for marijuana. Okay. The, <laughs> was the marijuanas. <laughs> was the Mary Jane. I'm going to smoke it like a marijuana cigarette.
the fact that is a, an irrational action, but how could you think that Wichita's and Her- and Tallahassee's action of sending Bill Murray in there dressed like a zombie and not expecting him to die? He has a bad idea. Yeah. yeah I mean, honestly, it seems like... We learned that drugs are bad. Drugs are bad, okay. But it just, they don't, it doesn't matter the cost and it doesn't matter what their consequences are. They're going to get their thing X. And whenever they get it, they satisfy their urges, even though it caused like lots of stress and duress uh, for the sisters. Harrelson gets his Twinkie again at the same amount of stress. But um, they're just going to be looking around for that next thing to fill that void because we're built to be consumers by society um and zombie apocalypse or not we're gonna get what we want whatever it is and you know that mentality just drives this whole movie even to the point where columbus is like well i'm gonna get what i want meaning i guess i should go back to my parents because they are my family even though i don't have a deep connection with them um but then his just going along with what everyone else does to fit in it's an um, interesting commentary, I think, from a little bit of a, perhaps a different angle, because it does combine that road trip genre in, and what are, mm-hmm. what's, like, kind of the frequent thing in a road trip genre is that they're going to a place to do a thing, yeah. and they're gonna, like, satisfy that urge, and it's gonna be, like, the best thing ever. Yeah, I mean, by melding those two genres, it kind of creates a new product that you might not have seen in a traditional zombie movie. Okay, to summarize, product placement in the movie, you know, reinforces the consumerist desires and then people start acting in not necessarily their own self-interest, but as only in the self-interest of becoming, you know, consuming more goods. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. Preach, comrade. And I have to say that your analysis dovetails quite well with my own. Yes! So, um, I've been staying very, very silent because I wanted to not steal my own thunder as I was coming up to the bat to talk about this. Now, I was, I gotta say, though, before I get into this, I was sorely tempted to give a Room 237 sort of reading. What does that mean? Oh, God. You know, as, you know, today I watched the film, today happens to be, as we record this show, Columbus Day. (laughs) <laughs> and as Columbus makes his way west across the continent in search of the golden city symbolized by a yellow cream-filled sponge cake and all of the Indian wreckage that follows <laughs> oh them as he makes his way to the ocean. Thank you for this. You still gave the reading anyway. That I'm makes not. me very happy. Bonus <laughs> reading for you, listener. My vagina is so dried out right now. <laughs> <laughs> a very gross thing to say. Uh, <laughs> That's why I said But I'm not going to give that reading, but I have to say these thoughts were percolating in my brain and I was very amused and I was saving until just now to share with my dear co-hosts and now with you across the interwebs, dear listeners. Uh, the thing I do want to talk about, though, is desire and the desire of things. And as Alex mentioned already, zombie film itself is uh, typically a metaphor for the desire of consumer goods. This began with uh, Romero's Dawn of the Dead when they're locked up in the shopping mall. And that's sort of the um, the standard codifying image for what we experience when we uh, look at zombie films. We begin to think of these um, you know, human beings who are like undead because of consumption and the need to consume more as being defined as purely consumers. Yes. 
And uh, so that's that's totally there. But what's interesting to me is that the consumption doesn't stop with the zombies, especially in this film. Uh, and it's, it's true also of Dawn of the Dead. But here we see very, very clearly that the consumers are every bit as much the living as much as they are the dead. And what Hollywood film does for us, or does to us, is it forces us to desire. It is about, you know, it's not really about entertainment. It's about helping us to want things. And this is not a new thing. You know, we talk about this film as sort of a postmodern film, as sort of a meta film that is, uh, you know, it's got the, 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 the title cards that are coming in there, the really CGI graphic cards mm-hmm. of, the, of the rules of how to survive in Zombieland and all the movie references and all the hitness of the characters. Uh, we have, you know, uh, Woody Harrelson wearing Nick Cage's jacket from Wild at Heart. Peanut! Hi, baby! Oh, wow! Baby, I got a surprise for you. Hey, my snakeskin jacket! Thanks, baby! Did I ever tell you that this here jacket represents a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom? About 50,000 times. Again, this sort of meta-textuality that's going on in this movie is really because this is movies doing what the movies have always been doing, which is to make you want things. Uh, when you start talking about, you know, you look at Larry May's book, uh, Picture Personalities, you look at De Cordova's book, uh, talking about screening out the past, and you begin to see, uh, these are Hollywood histories, early Hollywood histories, you begin to see this idea that as Hollywood began to take shape in the early teens and 20s, that they realize that this is all about selling a lifestyle, a lifestyle of wanting things, of wanting a certain other sort of lifestyle, to want more and more consumer goods, to buy the things out of the JCPenney, Sears, and Roebuck catalogs that are coming your way. And so what began with the construction of the personality or persona of Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks was this desire to, to live the sort of life, to be like Doug Fairbanks if you're a dude, to be like Mary Pickford if you're a girl, and to, to, to experience life like they did, and to wear the clothes that they did, and to do the things and have the hobbies that they did. And they do the same thing with the character Bill Murray. Everybody wants to get to Bill Murray's house. They want to be in the opulence of his you know, very, very lovely home, but also you know, his, his life dedicated to playing golf. And he's quite good at golf, as it turns out. And uh, those sort of things, and of course, making sure you know who Bill Murray I'm is. I'm so glad they, they did not miss the opportunity to make a Caddyshack joke in there. That, that was good stuff. Yeah. And all of that, and, and so there's, there's this going along, alongside this desire of Woody Harrelson's character to get a, a synthetic processed pastry, you know, a sponge cake filled with cream. Mm. Here, let me have a small interruption commercial break I watched this the first time I saw maybe the second time I saw this movie it was in my um, philosophy class my undergrad philosophy class with uh, a professor and he gave us all Twinkies uh, while we watched this movie and contemplating what it means to be a human being what a nice man wow you watched this movie for a philosophy class yes whilst eating Twinkies Yes. That is that is fantastic. Yeah. That is the best thing I've heard all night. Go Broncos. Wow. wow. Broncos. Broncos. <laughs> but nonetheless. Uh, it's an institution of higher learning that doesn't know how to spell the fucking word Bronco. But it's all about this, again, <laughs> this, this pursuit of, uh, of sort of synthetic things that aren't actually real desires in the first place. Uh, you know, Twinkie, Snow is born with a craving for Twinkies. You know, you might be born with a craving for food, maybe carbohydrates. But Twinkies, not so much. People do want to have entertainment and fun, but sort of the processed, uh, 
version of fun and Im- imagination entertainment that we might experience in something like Disneyland or a Disneyland analog like Pacific Playland is not the same thing. Uh, yes, we do need to drink things for sustenance, but Mountain Dew Code Red is probably not the craving that we all experience. Uh, and, and the point being is that what the film is doing is it's talking about our desire for these things, but it's also sort of building back up the edifice of the craving of the things. That whatever is your thing, go ahead and crave that thing and let it be your thing and just go ahead and enjoy whatever those little things are instead of enjoying what good things there might be. Exactly. Jesse Eisenberg's like craving that red, that code red though. He's craving the ladies. He's craving yeah. the ladies. Well, even, that... <laughs> even at the detriment of their own selves. That kind of like, I feel like our analyses like run really parallel to each other. Well, I, I do want to talk about Eisenberg's craving of the ladies because one thing he's got a is... craving for the code red <laughs> because she's a redhead. <laughs> no, she's not in, in this movie. No, she's a brunette. Yeah, close. Brunette is not close to redhead at all. She's she actually <laughs> she's a redhead. She can't hide it. No, she's, she's actually, actually a natural blonde. But in reference to the uh, the desire for the ladies, there is this other Hollywood formula of the formation of the uh, heterosexual couple, which is sort of like a mm-hmm. plot line, a through line through all of classical no Hollywood joke. Yeah. It, it said, whatever's going on in the movie, there's an A story, and the B story is how the boy gets the girl. Mm-hmm. And this, is, this, this movie is no exception. And this desire for that family, but again, the way ideology works, is that the desire for family and for relationships is not so much about love and affection and sort of finding meaning, especially in context of this film, in which it's just so that you can provide yet another consumption unit in a family to consume more of the stuff. I reference now Mr. Slavoj Zizek, who talks about how uh, when we experience film, what film does for us is it is an experience of desire itself. It is an experience that really helps us. um, the, The problem for us is not, I quote now, the problem for us is not... Is not our, our desires are satisfied or not. The problem is, how do we know what we desire? There is nothing spontaneous, nothing natural about human desires. Our desires are artificial, and we've been taught desire. Cinema is the ultimate pervert art. It doesn't give you what you desire. It just tells you how to desire, how to want it, and how to be a desiring uh, self or subject in the pursuit of all that stuff. And so that's what we're experiencing when we see this film. In They Live, we see this idea that, um, you know, take a great vacation, have a good time, and when uh, John Nada puts on the ideology glasses of They Live and he can see the alien world, he realizes the message is just marry and reproduce. And that sort of is the same sort of thing that's going on in this film, even though it sort of gives us this notion that... Um, that Eisenberg's character is going to hang on to something more meaningful, a real family, you know, made up of Harrelson, Emma Stone, and her sister. But really the truth is they're just these consumption units that are now conglomerated together, and so they can consume more together as a household than they could, per se, as individuals. I would like to kind of, I don't know, refute a little bit, of course, um, what that scholar was saying. I mean, the but the gist of it is, is if he's saying, well, you know, film is a perversion because it only teaches you how to consume things, then is all is all art a perversion? Because I feel like that's kind of the premise of like literature too. He means pervert in a very psychoanalytical sense, which is the sort of fetishization of a thing. Right. That, that, that what cinema does for us is teaches us how to fetishize things 
that are really themselves not um, life-giving, um, that are not necessarily necessary for human existence. For instance, legs and shoes on ladies uh, with the male gaze in film. Um, Slava Zizek, don't, don't get tripped up on, on his use of the word pervert. He'll be the first one to tell you everyone's a pervert. So. Right. Right. I was just interested to hear... I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a, a thing and, you know, when we're discussing various modes of art is being like, well, my art's the better art. You, you know what I mean? And by him saying that this is a more perverse way of displaying desire. I mean, people said that about literature. Oh, he's saying that like it's a good thing, though, too. Oh. Uh, that's why he likes it. Yeah. Oh. Because it is the ultimate pervert art. Hmm. So, yeah, pervert has a very positive connotation in the way Zizek's using it. So yeah. yeah, that's what I meant by he calls himself pervert. Not not in that like no, it's okay because we're all perverts. He means it in a good way. Yeah, not like we're all dirty somehow. Yeah. Just... No, I mean I didn't really interpret it as dirty, but more as like a deviation from the gold standard, but not necessarily in like in a sinful way. Yeah. Well, um, sin is not a concept I think he's using at all uh, in the, w- with his understanding of perversion. His his, his understanding of perversion is that which is needful. Um, that which is most necessary, or that which is most life-giving. And I think you would dare say that the perversion of cinema, part of its perversion in how it perverts us to cause us to desire these things, it distracts us from going ahead and achieving the things that truly would make us healthy healthy and happy, that we might break free from the shackles of a consumerist society. We were no longer defined any longer by just the stuff we eat, the clothes we wear, and the, you know, the restaurants we go to, and that they're all not boxed, you know, um, prepackaged, uh, you know, name brand. You are not your fucking khakis. <laughs> yes, yes, correct, precisely that. And so that's I, I think that's where he's going at with uh, cinema is that it is a distraction from those sort of things. But because it's so open and so bare, it's a great place where we can actually see okay, here's what the rest of society is doing to us ideologically, and we can break open society because cinema, even though it's a perverted art. What it does is it helps lay bare the perversion that's in our society. So what you're saying, that whole quote, and therefore this movie, is basically affirming the need for this podcast. Uh, well, I think this <laughs> podcast is quite important, so yeah, I'll go with that. Thank you uh, very much uh, for that, and thank you very much to your co-host uh, for your excellent analyses of this film. But, dear listener... We're going to move on to another section of our show, but of course, we want to know. We want to know so badly what you think of our analysis so far. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points. And may God have mercy on your soul. And we also have to give a verdict. The verdict at this time we give is shell for trash, else or instead. I ask you, Mr. Arthur Gordon, shell for trash, else or instead. I'm going to say put it on the shelf. It's definitely, it's not expensive to pick up now. You can probably get it from four to eight bucks, depending on the format that you would like. Um, so, you know, pick it up. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a lot of fun with friends. It's a lot of fun to have uh, when you're, you know, just want to watch something at the end of the day to kind of relax. And so put it on the shelf. I'd say else instead, um, this will be a recurring theme throughout the night, but Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, I think both pair well here. Uh, Ghostbusters, obviously, I think you have to watch with this uh, because you're going to find out now who you're going to call. It's, it's Ghostbusters. It's Ghostbusters. And, uh, or I would also, Bill Burry if he wasn't dead. 
I don't think we can stitch this up, Bill. Um, no. It's still tender. I'd also uh, suggest watching Easy A, starring Emma Stone. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I think is a lot of fun, and she gets to shine. I think she's just a really fun actress to watch. And so Easy A, I think, is a great a great choice there as well. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, let's say you show for trash, else, or instead. I'm going to say stream slash borrow. You don't need to buy this. I mean, it's it's good. It's fun. It's good fun. But there's better comedies, there's better zombie movies, and there's better zombie comedies. Uh, Hot Fuzz, or <clears throat> Shaun of the Dead being one of them. Um, th- there's better movies, and everyone in this movie has been in better movies and played the same part they played in this movie, and they've played it better. Um, yeah, I mean, I like the movie a lot, don't get me wrong, but I don't think you need to own it. I, de- I definitely don't think you should drop cash on it, so, eh, it's fine. There's a reason they decided to turn this into a movie instead of a TV show. I think it wears out its welcome pretty quick. Um, but I will say, can call my picks Elsa's. I still think you should watch Zombie Land if you have the chance and haven't. Um, I'm going to say that if you if you really want some more Jesse Eisenberg, um, a really kind of interesting spiritual sequel to this is Adventureland, which is not a sequel mm-hmm. to Zombieland, uh, but does still take place in an amusement park and is a really good movie yeah. that was really poorly um, marketed. Yeah. Um, it was marketed as a comedy, and it's a funny movie. Don't get me wrong, but it is definitely coming of age drama. Yeah. Um, I, I know Arthur, you're a fan of Adventureland, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. Uh, I definitely think you should check it out, especially if you want some more Eisenberg, because uh, I think it's definitely the film where he kind of arrived really more than any of the other stuff he did. Although he's in an earlier film called The Education of Charlie Banks, that's good, and he's in a movie called Holy Rollers. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry, not Holy Rollers. That's later. Um, Adventureland's definitely, you know, I think the film where he really arrived dramatically. I know he's in earlier films like Roger Dodger and The Education of Charlie Banks. Uh, Charlie Banks I've seen, Roger Dodger I haven't, but both of those are pretty well regarded. So do that. Um, I already name-checked it once already, but check out Natural Born Killers. Um, Woody Harrelson doing a lot of similar things. It's, you know, um, not a great movie. It's an interesting movie. Uh, It's definitely a different movie, but... Um, definitely worth watching, especially with this. And I would say watch Ruben Fleischer's uh, his third film, uh, Gangster Squad, which is similar to this in that there's a lot of really cool style, but not much substance. Yeah, yeah. that movie's fun, but yeah. I couldn't tell you a thing that happened. Yeah, Gangster Squad's a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of cool camera work, <laughs> a lot of cool action uh, set pieces, but kind of a dumb movie, all, all told. But uh, uh, again, those are just some things I would uh, recommend you check out with this. Finally... Check out Sherlock with this just for another use of a really fun textual pop-ups, um, do, doing interesting things with what's happening on the screen um, to layer jokes and information. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, shelf or trash else or instead? Well, I mean, it took me watching this movie again. Uh, I actually share a copy of this movie with my mom, and I think this speaks to my final critique of the movie that I was too lazy to go and pick up the actual hard copy from my mom and I ended up just watching it online. So, dear listener, it is my host pick, but I would incur- I would make a recommendation for you to just uh, stream it because it is a, f- a fun movie that has, you know, a smattering of re- rewatch value, but it's it has a diminishing marginal utility that was from my midterm that I didn't co- I come to this podcast for last week. Sorry, I had to throw that in <laughs> there. It has really diminishing exciting. marginal utility about how useful it is over time because the more times you watch it, the less you know engrossing and engaging and useful it is. I'm so glad I use that in a context not that class. Awesome. Anyway. <laughs> 
So, if you are going to stream it, I would encourage you also to pair it with Stakeland. I know, we talk about that a lot, but these are really great spiritual sequels. And I would think, I even think, I know Stakeland's not a comedy. I know Stakeland's a horror movie. But I feel like if you took all the horror out of zombie, uh, all the comedy out of Zombieland, Stakeland does what Zombieland does better. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I would agree that. Yeah. Uh, Zombie Lane's a really solid comedy, but all the non-comedy things it's doing, yeah, absolutely, Stake Lane does it better. I, I you said Stake Lane's not a horror movie. I think you meant Zombie Land. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. But I, I knew, I picked lots up of a, lands and lots yeah. of things that are like zombies yes. or either zombies or vampires. I was picking up on what you were putting down. Yeah, I like Stake Lane a lot. I like it better than Zombie Land. Yeah. I, I, if I had to pick between the two, I'd pick Stake I would. Land. I yeah. would own Stake Land. I would agree with these statements. Yes. Um, so other pairings besides the aforementioned, um, you know, we've recommended some, you know, because they have the same stars type picks. So you could go watch True Detective with a certain Woody Harrelson in it if you want to get in a more somber mood. Or you can go watch the, um, you know, original road trip with, uh, Abigail Breslin, Little Miss Sunshine. Fuck yeah. Yeah. You know, those would be good. Also, do you believe that she's 17 years old right now? I can't. It's insane. I'm so old. feel old. But um, otherwise, I would give this movie, because I didn't read it earlier, I would give it five mashed up left leg ankles of roommate 408 out of eight and a half. How do they have? The half digit is on the actual rating, not the actual total. That's fantastic. <laughs> that was really good. Thank you. <coughs> that makes me very, very happy. Well, Dustin, so what are your elsewhere insteads and shelves and trashes? I would probably say that this is, uh, I'm not going to say trash. Yeah. I, I think that's too harsh of a criticism. But it's not worth owning. So I think you should see it if you get a chance. If you're into zombies, you're into horror, you're into comedy, any combination thereof, you should jump on all of that and then take a look at this film. Uh, So there's that. What else you should watch? I'm going to recommend a movie I've never seen. I've never done this before on the show. But it's in my queue. It's something I want to say. It's called The Escape from Tomorrow, which is on Netflix currently. And it's all about a guy who's on a... Who's in Disneyland with his with his family? Yeah, gets fired and goes crazy. It's a very famously shot. Like it took him a year to shoot it, and they shot it very gorilla at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, so and they didn't have no, no, nope. no. Disneyland will not let you shoot there ever. So it's hating on the Dream Factory that is Disney, or perhaps Nightmare Factory. You know, I think I actually heard an NPR story about this. You probably did. Yeah, because. It was just like talking about how Disneyland is such a fabricated experience and all this, and they don't let cameras in at all, like, you know, to shoot. Yeah, you gotta buy their pictures. Yeah. Fascists. Oh my gosh. So insane. Consumerism. Yes. And so there is that going on. I'm also gonna recommend the Pervert's Guide to Cinema, that, uh, the quote I talked about just a few minute moments ago about um, cinema being the ultimate pervert art. That's the opening line Zizek gives. That's streaming on Netflix, isn't Pervert's it? Pervert's Guide to Ideology, Ideology is. That's uh, right. Guide to Cinema is not. There we go. Uh, currently. And so uh, there are other places I believe you can find it, though, uh, all across the interwebs and Amazon and DVDs and streaming services, etc., so on and so forth. And then, then those really, really are the uh, recommendations that I would just want to make, is just to sort of think about what the film's doing, and then maybe as a possible addendum uh, mentioned uh, earlier in my analysis, uh, that you check out John Carpenter's They Live. 
and uh, where Rowdy Roddy Piper puts on the ideology glasses and sees that they've already taken over. Good pick. And perhaps maybe something different could possibly be done. But let's move on. Dear listener, we'd love to hear about what your thoughts are. What are your shelves or trash else or instead picks for Zombieland? How can you have that conversation with us? It's via that magical means we all know as social media. Mr. Arthur Gordon... Back, uh, what social media feedback or information do you have for us? Uh, first, you could email us, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any uh, information you'd like us to read or share, we will read it because we like to do that kind of thing. Also, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast, one word. Uh, not a lot of feedback this week. We had some likes on different articles that were posted and things of that nature. Uh, and Randall Bay said that... Uh, he thanked us for our uh, Good Trash to Cinema um, episode of 12 Angry Men, which just dropped, so you can definitely check that out. Uh, Randall was very excited about that. And so uh, that's what we've got coming in from Facebook this week. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you have anything else about social media? You know, my mom always told me I'd be good at something. Just never thought that'd be moderating a podcast Twitter feed. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton. Do we have any feedback coming in from the Twitter? Oh, not really this week. Uh, Caleb. Fail. Yeah, I know. Obviously, and again, uh, I preface this by saying when I say the myriad retweets and favorites, I'm not shitting you. There are a lot. But as far as actual, uh, you know, tweeting at things... Um, Caleb Vesley gave us a, uh, some more follow-up on the Twin Peaks, you know, rejuvenation. Hashtag Twin Peaks 2016, hashtag Coffee and Pie, hashtag 25 Years Later. Uh, and it's just a little newspaper clipping, um, from USA Today about the, um, Showtime reviving Twin Peaks, which we talked about last week. We did get a response to our Bad Trips game from last week. Oh, excellent. From Brigham Cole. He said, Bad Trips, both the original and 2013 Evil Deads. Evil Dead 2, Cabin in the Woods, and any war film post-Apocalypse Now. Mm. And probably including Apocalypse Now, honestly. It's a bad trip down that river. Mm -hmm. It's a bad time they have going down. Uh, One final piece of feedback also coming in from Brigham Call. I happened to tweet um, out on the uh, Twitter account that our listeners should uh, stay tuned through the outro music of our Stakeland episode if they want to hear one of the hosts act like an idiot. Uh, Brigham wrote in and said, I wouldn't be surprised if it is who I think it is. (laughs) <laughs> you are correct, it was me. Uh, but that's all the feedback we've got coming in this week in the terms of actual like textual feedback. Excellent. Um, dear listener, it does pay to listen till the end. Uh, we always pick music that's thematically somehow related to the film, and then we drop in um, outtakes, I guess is what you'd call it. And lately there have been lots of them. It's a word for it. <laughs> and so uh, do stay listening till the end. Keep giving us the feedback. Let us know what you think about what we're doing at iTunes. Give us a five-star rating, for please, please. And give us a real review so that we can read that on the air. You can always email us at uh, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, leave those comments at Stitcher Internet Radio, etc. So on and so forth. But let's move on as the time grows late. I realize now... Probably time to play the game. Greetings and welcome. I want to play a game. This week's game is our favorite movie cameos. That's right, favorite movie cameos brought to you by Zombieland. Zombieland. When you need a cameo, don't shoot them with a shotgun. Uh. So, that's what the game is. We love seeing Bill Murray. 
in this film. And so we're just going to name a one or two or seven of our favorite uh, films in which there are cameos and perhaps the cameo itself. I ask you first, Miss Alexandra Bohan, what say you? See, he tries to juke us out, but if he says miss, then we, we know it's going to be me. Yeah. Well, well, don't does that. I'll have that operation coming up. Well, his vagina has dried out, so... I'm sorry. <laughs> Virginity totally justifiably questionable. <laughs> Ladies. Very good. Okay, um, favorite movie cameos. I would... I've got a couple. Um, of course, any Muppet movie you'll ever see has bajillions of cameos, and they're all fantastic. I would say that one of the... Well, the most unexpected in theaters was Jim Parson, Sheldon from Big Bang Theory, being the human version of the new Muppet whose name currently escapes me. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. in the mirror. And that's just brilliant. It, it is a moment you're not expecting, and it happens, and you're just like, oh, my, my sides are in outer space right now. Um, the second one, we keep on going back to the Cornetto trilogy, but it's just so good. Uh, Shaun of the Dead, in their, in that movie, there's a great cameo of all, a bunch of different characters from space. I, I didn't... Yes, yes. And that's just a fantastic moment. Mm -hmm. Um... Including Martin Freeman, who's not in space, but is also in that line. Yeah, when they walk by, like, the Mirror Gang. Yeah. 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 And it was, it was a wonderful moment there. Of course, um, I watched Space after I watched the um, I watched Space after the Cornetto trilogy. So now I need to go watch Shaun the Dead to see how legit that little bit is. But it's a it's priceless. So thank you very much, Miss Bohan and Mr. Dalton Stewart. What say you? Um, I'm going to start this off with probably one of my all time favorite cameos, and all mine are, are from comedies, and I think most cameos are most of the great ones that you remember. Um, at the end of Dodgeball, um, Vince Vaughn's team is about to lose, and they did originally lose, and then test audiences hated it, so they shot a new ending. Um, but they get, like, a sudden death round on a technicality, and they go to a judge's ruling, and it's coming down to the wire. The judges are split, and the final judge, Chuck Norris. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's good. And, he's, and Vince Vaughn looks at him and says... Thank you, Chuck Norris. And Chuck Norris says, thank you, Peter. <laughs> Scared name. It's one of my favorite cameos of all time. It's so short. And it's just so bizarre and surreal yeah. and pre-Chuck Norris jokes. Mm -hmm. that it, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's wonderful. I am a big fan of the movie High Fidelity. I don't know if I've talked about this uh, on the show before. The, the John Cusack mm -hmm. film. Uh, I like it a lot. And uh, <laughs> his, his internal monologue, um, like his, his thinking to himself about things... Um, sometimes he, he goes to his mental guru, which is Bruce Springsteen. And Springsteen's just, like, hanging out. And, hey, man. Uh, <laughs> and it's a really great camera. I get a great laugh out of. Um, last but certainly not least, the Dave Chappelle, Jim Brewer classic, half-baked, um, one of the best pot comedies of all time, uh, features a sequence in which Dave Chappelle's character... Goes to rehab, goes to, I'm not sorry, not rehab, a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. Uh, he's trying to get off the reefer because his girlfriend wants him to be more responsible. Uh, and he's, he's telling a story about his struggles with addiction and finally says that he, he's addicted to weed. And then everyone at the meeting loses their minds making fun of him. And then Bob Saget stands up and says, weed's not a drug. <laughs> I suck dick for coke. <laughs> and then goes off on how, and Bob Saget really has had struggled with a cocaine addiction. 
uh, goes off on how uh, being uh, addicted to cocaine is a real deal and how pot's a joke. And it's one of the funniest cameos of all time. Thank you very much, Mr. Donald Stewart. Uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, your favorite cameo picks? Uh, I would um, first build off of Miss Alex's pick of uh, Shaun of the Dead and go with Hot Fuzz, which also features some phenomenal cameos. Uh, Kate Blanchett, Peter Jackson, um, again, Martin Freeman, uh, Bill Nighy uh, shows up again, and um, Steve Coogan. The immortal Steve Coogan. It is just a great series, those three in a row. Steve, uh, Steve Coogan is... The master at being smug. Yeah. He's, smug master. Yeah. He's brilliant. I would say uh, one recent one, Million Ways to Die in the West, was a terrible film, but it has a great cameo from Jamie Foxx playing Django uh, in the end, nice. and it's just a lot of fun. Um, I would say one uh, that's interesting to me is Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Rundown. Um, there's this little, very quick interaction between Arnold and The Rock when The Rock, uh, Dwayne Johnson, uh, walks into a club. They bump into each other. As this nice little almost passing of the torch from one action star to a future action star. Mm-hmm. And I like the rundown so much. The rundown's a good movie. Yeah. There's this, the, the club scene at the beginning when he walks yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the exactly as as he's walking in, Arnold walks out of the club and they just kind of That's a pass. Aww. It's a nice little thing that happens. And it, it's prophetic because The Rock is probably the highest grossing action figure of the last few years. It took that career a little bit to get off the ground. Yeah, when it, hit, it was it hit. shaky for a minute. The tooth fairy. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and so, there we go. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I've got a couple picks I want to mention, and most of them come from the world of comedy. Uh, I, first of all, want to mention Alice Cooper in Wayne's World. Yeah! I'm just saying, Alice Cooper, who knows much about the Milwaukee Indians. The Milwaukee, uh, yeah. Which is There's a lot of good cameos in Wayne's World. Super, super, super hilarious. I also want to mention, I don't know, Keith Richards showing up in Pirates of the Caribbean 3 or 4. I don't remember which one he showed up. He's like three, 2 or 3. I, I, I can't tell you which one it was, and I don't even care. Yeah, uh, but it's funny. <laughs> but it's, 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 it, you know, it's hilarious because he's there. And, and lastly, the creme de la creme, as far as I'm concerned, uh, for celebrity cameos... <laughs> In, in a film is Bob Barker mm-hmm. yeah. and Happy Gilmore. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Price is wrong, bitch. <laughs> and, uh, and I love that movie uh, very, very much. Yeah. So those are my picks. Dear listener, we'd love to hear your picks. And uh, go to your home. <laughs> are you too good for your home? Answer me. <laughs> Let's watch that together. Oh, my God. Well, as the hour runs on out, we need to move on and talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. I know the crew's all fired up, and I'm excited to hear just how fired up you may be. Miss Alexander Bohan, are you fired up? I'm fired up about, well, one-ish things, two-ish things. Um, and they're both about the same stuff. Um, so, Carrie Ellis, who was in uh, The Princess Bride, one of my favorite movies of all time. Also Saw. Yes. Which, the, which it, was the reason why I watched Saw, in by a the different, way. In a different sort of role. Right. Um, he has been all over the interwob, plugging his new memoir, As You Wish, which is about his time working on The Princess Bride. I plan Is that all on, it's about? 
and yeah, I, as far as I know, I because I'd read a whole autobiography, right? The whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't want just a memoir. I want the entire life story. Yeah. I mean, it might be the whole thing, God, but I hope so. It, I can't remember. I just I know it specifically <clears throat> mentions Princess Bride yeah. in the title. So, yeah. and besides the "as you wish" quote, um, so he's been on Reddit, NPR. Oh my gosh! Just like everywhere, plugging the crap be okay. out of there. Are you gonna be okay? Well, it's been hard to... for you to stand up lately, huh? You love him, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's... Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah. Think... So my little heart You're just fluttering. Just... <laughs> yeah. Vapors. Yeah. Okay. So and then the other thing I'm getting fired up about is next Monday at Alamo Draft House, they're screening a quote along Princess Bride. Carrie Ellis is going to be there, giving away the, copies of his yeah. memoir. Yeah, the, the awesome one of the awesome locations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, signed mm-hmm. by him and photo ops for all. I I want to go, but I just I that is a long drive to go to that. It is, and not for it to not be on a weekend. Yeah, uh, yeah. I want to go so bad though. If any of you would take me, dear listener, I'd go. Yeah. I sent it to my mom. I imagine it's probably already sold out. I'm sure it is. Yeah, I'm sure it sold out very shortly after being announced. Yeah. But that, man. Girl can dream. That would be a lot of fun. Give me your ticket and take (laughs) it. I'd go to that. I'd go. Yeah. Carpool. I'd take take time out to do that. Well, thank you, Miss Bohannon, very much for uh, that fired up at Ness. Mr. Arthur Gordon. (laughs) Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up this week as well? Yarp. I would say yes. Um... It is fall, and so that means new TV season has begun, and yeah. a lot of fun. Uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine is back, and it's been a lot of fun so far. I really enjoyed that comedy. That chocolate milk episode was real good. Yeah, I uh, got to watch last night's new episode uh, today, and that was a lot of fun. It's just a great chemistry, I think, with the whole cast, and so it's really enjoyable. Um, Flash, I got to catch the uh, pilot episode of Flash, which I thought was a lot of fun. I liked it too. Yeah, uh, doesn't take itself too serious. I think it's going to be really interesting, kind of see where they go with it. I was kind of worried when I first saw the commercials and trailers, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. I'll check it out. Uh, another new show I've checked out is called Peaky Blinders. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's the BBC show. Netflix has the distribution. Season one is p- online streaming right now. That's Peaky Blinders, as in blinders you're peeking around. I Yeah, everyone except for me and Arthur who watched the show had no idea what we were saying. Yeah. Uh, peaky rhymes with cheeky. Yeah. And so uh, it's got Kelly Murphy, Sam Neill, uh, the good Dr. Grant uh, makes his appearance. And it's a lot of fun. It's like a early 1900s version of Sons of Anarchy set in Britain and it's it's really interesting I'm, I'm interested From to Manchester? see where it goes right. they say exactly where yeah, London is but yeah, I can, early. is it London or North England I don't know I think it's London because Manchester is Manchester North okay. England, like Yorkshire okay I want to say it's London and they like specify like what neighborhood it yeah. is oh right yeah because gotcha. it's a British show right, so they yeah. get very specific with sure. it but yeah it's I like it too, Arthur. I've, you just watched the first one. I got to watch. I watched the first episode in full. It's really stylized. They do a lot of the new. The, they pull in that modern yeah, music and, and acoustic really kind of music. Yeah, and so it's 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 enjoyable. Uh, the other thing is, I went out and bought myself a Nintendo 2DS uh, to do some casual gaming with. Uh, I picked up Super Smash Brothers, and so I hope to enjoy that and have some fun with that. You could Ruby. You could play Super Smash Brothers, the new version, on a 2DS. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. I thought you, you only had to get the 3DS or its subsequent newer models. <laughs> the 2DS is just a base version of the 3DS. Yeah, it's without the 3DS the 3D without 3D capability. Screen. Yeah. So all well, the 3D games work on it. Well, fantastic. Yeah, so that's that's been fun. Excellent. For that fired upness, thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I'm also fired up about something Carrie Elusive uh, related. 
Um, there, the last week of this month, there is going to be a 10th anniversary, uh, one week only, um, some showings of Saw. There's a full-on... Theatrical. Th- full-on theatrical re-release for one week of, of the original Saw, because it's the 10th year anniversary. And, uh, if you're gonna bother to go re-see one of the Saw movies in theaters, it should definitely be the first one. Because it's still good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I might do that, because that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. I took a trip to the cinema since we last recorded and uh, went and saw The Purge 2, Purge Harder. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not the actual subtitle. Purge Anarchy, if, if that's what you want to call it. But I've been insisting for about six months now on referring to it as The Purge 2, Purge Harder. And I've been waiting for it to go to the dollar theater because I wasn't about to spend real money on it. Uh, but I actually really uh, enjoyed it. It's exactly worth $3 to see. Um, it's not great, but it, it does a lot of fun stuff with the premise. Um, more so than the first one, as I understand it, ever saw the original starring Ethan Hawke. Uh, but this, uh, entry starring Frank Grillo, who I, you might remember as Diaz from The Grey, um, is really interesting. Um, does a lot of fun stuff. And again, it's not great, but the fact that a major studio release tackles wealth inequality and gun violence and other uh, issues that America at large has a real hard time confronting it about itself. The fact that a major release actually tackles these issues, I think, is worth something. Mm. <coughs> to give you an idea about what this film is about, uh, the end credits, there is a... It's just kind of a montage of really in-your-face images, and it shows a six-year-old being taught to fire a shotgun, followed by Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a very in-your-face movie. So that's The Purge 2, Purge Harder, which had a really long theatrical run and is in dollar theaters now. Uh, lastly, tying into The Flash, um, I also watched the pilot for The Flash and then was like, well, hell, I'll go ahead and check out Arrow because the first season's been on Netflix for a while mm-hmm. and the second one just got added. It's a good show. I like yeah. Arrow. I was really surprised yeah. at how much I like it. Um, it's totally soapy and it makes no qualms about it, but it's also a fun little reinvention of some um, DC mythos and... Yeah, I dig it a lot. DC's kind of cracked the code for TV. I think they have. I, I mean, yeah. They're doing yeah. it. Has Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. not been as successful? This Agents it's... of S.H.I.E.L.D. is okay. The second season's been good. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. just took a really long time yeah. to find its footing. Yeah. Marvel's just winning at movies, and DC can't figure out movies. And apparently... It can do animated the, movies. It yeah. can do TV, but it cannot do theatrical releases. Yeah, apparently... Without C- Batman. The CW is apparently Why isn't out. there a Wonder Woman show? They were supposed to be, but they didn't think it would work. Yeah, it didn't get a, it didn't get past pilot. Stupid. Don't ask me, man. I don't make the rules. I wasn't nodding at you. I was nodding at DC executive white men. We were watching the classic Wonder Woman last night at my house. I don't. I don't and think any time was had by. I don't think anybody knows what to do with it. To be honest with you, um, I think it's it's like Guardians of the Galaxy, and it took Marvel being like, we have a gazillion dollars and we do whatever we want. It's not because she's a woman. It's because Wonder Woman's fucking weird. She just is. Like, she's weirder than Thor. And the th- lasso of truth, the invisible plane. Yeah. I, the I, the I, bracelets, the deflectable. It's, it is kind of strange. It's it's very strange. And Thor's really strange. And if they hadn't had such success with Iron Man leading up to it, I don't think Thor would have gotten off the ground. In yeah. fact, it took two Iron Man movies. Thor was, one was supposed to come out before Iron Man 2. Uh, and they just couldn't figure it out. And Marvel's just good at making movies. Uh, because they have it all consolidated. And I, I, I don't think they know what to do with Wonder Woman. But she's going to be in Batman v Superman, Dawn of, colon, Dawn of Justice. So That's the rumor. No, yeah. it's not the rumor. She's cast. Mm. Yeah, it's it's official. So is Aquaman and Cyborg. 
can rumored or are they official too? Well, Momo is official, and I don't know if they've officially announced he's the rumor is Cyborg's official. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But yeah, Arrow's good, and uh, I think what the CW has done uh, for some of these shows is uh, embrace the Buffy model. Honestly, they embrace kind of the soapier elements uh, and don't make any qualms about them, but then totally don't. They have a lot of fun with their genre elements and the action and and the comedy and stuff. And yeah. Yeah, they've got it figured out. I'm still not going to watch Supernatural, no matter how many people, <laughs> no matter how many people tell me to. Sorry, it's uh, a lot of stuff. several of our listeners that are also friends of mine tell me to watch it. I just I'm not into it. But Arrow, I'd say first two three seasons. Haul. After that, I'd I have listener friends that say the same thing to me. I might get to it. But I haven't it's not. Forces to watch it next month. I got I got other shows to rewatch, and yeah, and I got to finish Arrow, which is. Totes solid. Check it out. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I'm also fired up about a little comic book television that's coming out October 24th. It's Constantine coming to NBC. Yeah. I've been watching the preview, I don't know, like once a week. At Same. Point. It's a good it, trailer makes me happy. I am so excited. Mm-hmm. And so I very, very deeply, badly wish to see that. I'm also fired up about the sports ball. And I have yeah. to say, hey, you know what? I listen to your co- or your your video game nonsense. Shut up <laughs> and listen. Fair enough. All right. Uh, the, the the my Dallas Cowboys defeated the 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 world champion Super Bowl reigning champion Seattle Seahawks. The Sea Bags of Seattle were defeated, and I'm so happy. And we're five and one, which is the first time that's happened since 2007, which has been a minute. And so I'm just excited about my football team doing really, really well. And I have a right to do that and to like that thing because it's the thing that I like. You don't own them. Uh, you don't own your video game company either. No, but I only copy the game that I purchased. But you watch the thing and you're entertained, right? So no, back don't. off me, Jack. I can like sports. It's pop culture, too. Yeah. I don't feel a sense of ownership. It's fine. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. Moving right along. Um... Another thing I feel quite a lot of ownership about is um, a character called Dracula. Yeah. Um, and so Dracula Begins um, came out this weekend. A Dracula Untold. Uh, that's, no, it's Dracula Begins. Okay. As yeah. in Batman Gotcha, Begins. you're doing that thing I do. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's totally that. Did you see it? I did. And uh, it's, it's a superhero movie. Yeah. If you're looking for a horror movie, no. It's a great movie for kids. I think anybody eight years old or older can watch it. But it's also probably the best post-9-11 movie I've seen. And, uh, you know, there's this Turkish invading force that do this terroristic sort of things to a nation. And uh, someone in the national leadership spot has to make terrible, terrible choices to become a monster in order to protect those he loves, but becomes a monster and perhaps regrets those choices. That's the reading I might offer to Seth. Did you take the the boys to see it? Of course not. Oh, okay. Because you you didn't know. Because I have no idea. Yeah, okay. Not never in school, so. <laughs> but you, you so good. I knew you wanted to see it. It's it, it's fun, but it's definitely a comic book movie. It's not the best Dracula movie ever or anything like that. But yeah, you know, it's not bad. That's what I kind of heard. It's, Time it's, well spent. It's meh. I mean, it, it's not bad. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, it's just it, it it's better than I don't know. Van Helsing. Uh, yeah. Transformers three. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, uh, Van Helsing seems like a good. Well, I mean, it's what would I compare it to? I don't even. Van know. Helsing's the only thing I could think of. Well, it, it, it's it's. My Frankenstein. I, I think it compares to it, it's better than it's like Maleficent but it's better than that mm. uh, okay. it's like uh, it's like Maleficent? Snow White and the Huntsman it's yeah. better than that by far okay but it, it's sort of in that realm it's somewhere between that and Lord of the Rings yeah. gotcha in yeah. that neck of the fantasy woods okay and uh, is it true I heard I don't know if you know this Universal's wanting to reboot their monsters mm-hmm. correct kind of shared Marvel-esque continuity I heard the the studio had gone in and inserted some things so Luke Evans could play Dracula in that. 
franchise if they decide to do that. That they if I, is that true that they Luke there's... Evans is supposed to make some appearances in a mummy movie that's in the works. Okay. And, and apparently, my understanding was that there were some reshoots or something to sprinkle in some franchise building type things. And there was nothing that I noticed in this film. Yes, so okay. this film is is the first film of the cycle. Now I know there was a Wolfman movie with Benicio del Toro. No, that's what that. this is this decision I, was I, made post that. Uh, yeah. that's what I understand yeah. that that has nothing to do with what's yeah. gonna be happening. We don't talk next, about that movie. But Universal's doing this thing. Arthur has great love for the Wolfman as yeah, I do for the Great Black Uh Nick Nick Sanford Arthur feels about the same way you do. He that's the one of the only movies he's ever walked out of. So no. I, I know you love the Wolfman, and I know you don't like that Benicio del Toro movie. It's terrible. Is it that bad? It's, yeah. I've heard the the it's final soulless. sequence of him ripping shit up is pretty cool. Yeah, it's just soulless. I mean, it's, mm. doesn't have the heart. And Poor soul Joe Johnson. This, this movie has as much heart and soul. There's a lot as, of studio problems too. I know. Yeah. I'll tell you, what, it's as every bit as good as Thor two. Okay. Yeah, it's good. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, it's it's not good, <laughs> but it's not bad either. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing really wrong with it. It's just, it, yeah, it's, it's, if you happen to have interest in the mythology and the character that's being expanded upon, yeah, then it's that. Uh, but it's not, you know, it's nothing gothic and scary like Transylvania. I tell you what, it does leave off for a sequel, and I'm more interested in seeing the sequel than the movie I've already seen. Okay, and I want to see it. That's what okay. I was talking about then. That was what. There, I there's a sequel about. set up. Okay, that's what I was talking. Okay. There was set up for him to can keep playing Dracula. Yeah, absolutely. And allegedly, if this makes money, he'll play Dracula in their shared continuity. Yeah, What's I think... What's the sequel setup? Anything uh, interesting? Yeah. I don't he becomes Dracula. Is that kind of well, I mean, he becomes Dracula in the whole movie. Well, his name's Vlad Tepes, so... Well, yeah, yeah. You kind of, and I'll tell you what, that's one thing that takes away some of the drama of mm-hmm. his, you know, battling the dark forces and whether or not he's going to actually he, succumb he's to... He's Vlad Dracula, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. to, the, to the vampiric curse or not. I, I know. Just, so, I would assume the sequel would be his, the Dracula we know. Like, I, I, that story, um, right? Perhaps modern day, but yeah. Is, is that the... That's the, the setup. The setup is it cuts to modern day. Yes, sex, and I like it. I, I really want to see that. I think Luke Evans gives a whale of a performance. I like Luke Evans. You sold me on seeing this film. I, I yeah, I, I think it's worth your time. I'll probably I, wait for the Dollar Theater, but yeah, I I was a defender of it just alone for the use of the Lord the uh, Lord's cover of uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Man, so. yeah, for real. Do they use that in the movie? No. Oh, too bad. Um, it wouldn't make sense. I like anachronistic music. Yeah, I do too, but it wouldn't make sense. But yeah, I, fucking cover. I, I get what you're saying. Well, thank you so much, dear co-hosts, and and so we've got to move on as we conclude the show. Thank you so much for listening, dear listener, and uh, hearing what it is that we've got to say. We have given you lots of homework with our assignments and our fired upness and all those things in popular culture that you might or might not be interested in. And uh, we need to talk about what's happening next. What, what's next? Uh, you're next. I no, I, I already picked. I my pick was for Lord of Salem. Yeah, I, I know, but we're, we're, you're next. I'm not, no, I'm not next. Uh, who, I, Arthur's next. Aren't you next, Arthur? No, you're next. I'm not next. I, I picked Lord So we Salem. walk into Family Video to buy a movie. What do we pick? <laughs> you're next. No, but what do we pick? It's it's not my choice. What, what do we pick? You're next. God. It's Ladies a movie! And, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we will be watching the Adam Wingard film from 2012, I want to say. Uh, and that's your next. <laughs> All right, but you know, strange may seem they give ball players nowadays very peculiar names. Funny names? Nicknames, pet not, names. Not as funny as my name, Sebastian Dinwiddie. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Funny it didn't Oh, absolutely. Whee! Yes. Now, on the St. Louis team, we have uh, who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to that... find out. I want you to tell me the names of the fellas on the St. Louis I'm, team. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. You know the fellas' names? Yes. Well, then who's playing first? Yes. I mean, the fellas' name on first base. Who? The fella playing first base for St. Louis. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? 
Well, what are you asking me for? I'm not asking you. I'm telling you who is on first. I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first base. Who is on first? Have you got a first baseman on first? Certainly. Then who's playing first? Absolutely. Um, we're doing a, a bit of a slasher um, kind home of invasion, mumble home core. invasion mumblecore slasher film. Yeah, <laughs> kind of a winky, nudgy, uh, mm-hmm. semi-meta uh, horror movie. Uh, as we get ready to wind Shocktober down, this is our second to last show of this very fun horror marathon we've been on. So uh, look forward to that. We might have another guest host next week. Um, so stay tuned. I'm excited. I like your next a lot. So Tiny Furniture, furniture meets Halloween. <laughs> Good times will then be had Good reference. by all. And dear listener, we have to remind you, in a week's time, we will be meeting on a Tuesday night. Tuesday, October 21st, 7.30 in the Post Meridian at the Paramount. Downtown OKC in historic Oklahoma City's Film Row. We'll be looking at Tempest Fugit, and we'll be watching that with uh, Nick Sanford in the room and then doing a live show for you all. That's right, we're going to do the analysis that we do together in front of a live show. Uh, theatrical audience, and we're very, very excited about that, so stay tuned for that, and catch us then. Uh, take a look at your next. Also, take a look at all the films we talked about this week, and have a great conversation with somebody about the movies, because the movies help us find the meaning and understanding what's going on in life, to see the underpinnings of the real life that we're experiencing, so that can we can really, truly live real life right here and right now. And until next time, we'll see you then. Outside nearly as often because rain. Yeah, yeah. My dogs didn't want to go outside today either. They Are you using those three fancy books tonight? What three fancy books? Right there. No. Oh. Let me hands on you. I'm I put, used that the other night. I've been working on this. this I'm going to put hands on you like a faith healer. Pray the gay out of you too. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Y'all motherfuckers be Jesus. Well, dogs go to heaven. Unless you're gay. <laughs> it's funny when liberal people say crazy things.
I know I've said this on the show before, but it's literally Swahili for, hey, look, here comes the lion. <laughs> no way! Not kidding. Like, approximately. It's like, destroy <laughs> on Alex's face. I'm sorry, through its face right now, you guys. She has a giant laugh vein on her neck. <laughs> she do. Have we done Transformers on here? No! No.